The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Accepting, liberated, fat, positive, ooh, confidants. Welcome to another episode of Confidently Insecure, the podcast where we are absolutely sure we don't know everything. And as always, we have a fucking awesome, fantastic guest with us here today. She is a counselor activist and educator of fat liberation and health justice. She is a therapist at the Let's Dive Through a Mental Health app with tons of tools to help you lead a mental health, a mentally healthier and more fulfilling life. And most of her work focuses on self-acceptance, eliminating the effects of internalized oppression and health at every size. Please welcome to the podcast, Hannah. Oh my God. I even wrote down how to pronounce your last name and I'm terrified to do it. <laughs> Fallendorf. Fallendorf. You you did an amazing job. That is F- correct. Fallendorf. <laughs> Hannah Fallendorf. Yeah, Fallendorf. Fallendorf. Hannah Fallendorf. Thank you. It's a mouthful. I mean, I've got Dara with a GH that just confuses the hell out of people all the time. So I'm always I try to be like extra cautious about last name pronunciation. <laughs> but thank you for your grace. Uh, uh, I appreciate well, it. Thank you for being here so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Absolutely. Obviously, I've seen so much of your content on social media and what you are about, but I know we wanted to give a little disclaimer at the top of the episode. So give us your juice. Give us what you want to say. Warn the people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so yeah, more so just like information that I'll be, you'll notice throughout our conversation that I'll be using the word fat when talking about my own body and when talking about the concept of fatness in general. Um, I generally prefer not to use any euphemisms or code words like curvy, overweight, plus size, etc., all of which are problematic in their mm. own right. Uh, and the reason why I use the word fat is twofold. First, it's just the word that most accurately describes my body. <laughs> um, second, using the word fat in a casual, non-threatening, morally neutral way takes the negative power away from mm. it. Because at its root, the word fat is a morally neutral descriptor, Mm -hmm. just like tall or short, um, and it should be used just as casually and inoffensively as any other descriptor. Mm. Mm. I love it. We're fucking putting, taking the stigma away from the word. I appreciate that. And also, thank you for that, because I am so guilty of using curvy, which I guess I, I, I think of it in like to describe sexiness, like curve sexiness, Sure, but I want to hear, like, tell me the problematic uh, meaning behind words like plus size or, or um, curvy. Well, so they're, they're kind of problematic for different reasons, right? Like some of the most common ones that you'll hear, which are like highly medicalized, Mm. like pathologizing terms are things like overweight or obese, Mm. which are words that essentially only have meaning within the context of the BMI, which is the body Mm. mass index, which I don't even know if we have time to get into all the reasons why that is a hot, wet piece of garbage. It's definitely <laughs> on my list. 
we'll, um, we'll definitely get there. Perfect. Uh, yeah, but those essentially only exist within the context of the BMI. And if we are to um, eliminate the BMI and reject it, that also means rejecting its components. Mm-hmm. Both of, And those words are just inherently stigmatizing. Again, they pathologize fatness as a disease, which it's not. It's a natural part of body diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other words like plus size, it's like plus what size? What's the correct size mm-hmm. kind of thing? It's, again, sort of just like stigmatizing again othering fatness saying that it's not normal which in fact it's extremely normal um and terms like curvy again are just sort of euphemisms Mm. they're code words Mm. right and the purpose of code words are to essentially navigate around using words that we think are bad Mm. right so they just sort of send the message that like fatness is so bad that it's literally unspeakable so we need to exactly yeah, yeah. so we need to create these code words mm. so that we can avoid the word fat mm. and that's why i love your page so much is like <laughs> i wrote this down it's like i love when you always say someone always pops their head out of the ground because it just reminds me of <laughs> like these little trolley gophers like always popping their head up out of the ground and it it really is like mm-hmm. you you do a really good job of um informationing the history behind where like these biases and fat phobias came from and it was it's like you give these little history lessons along with your content which makes you go like mm-hmm. oh this is so much bigger than just my experience or what i've learned but before we get in all to that juicy goodness tell mm-hmm. me about let's start at the very beginning like what's your story and what made you want to dive into the mental health field and and specifically work with body acceptance Man. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I have always existed in a larger body to varying degrees throughout my life. Um, and that includes when I was young, I grew up in a house and in a culture as we all do that, uh, really, really valued thinness. Mm. And so I learned from a very young age that my body was wrong. Mm. <laughs> it was unacceptable and it needed to be mm. changed. Um, I did weight watchers as a child, wow. uh, which, um, yeah, yikes, big yikes, yikes there. Big yikes. I I started engaging in disordered eating behaviors when I was like nine or 10 years mm. old. Um, and that led to like a decades long battle with disordered mm. eating. Um, and I, I've always had this just deeply tumultuous relationship with my body. Um, and it wasn't until I was in probably my like early to mid twenties when I was working with a therapist who I didn't, I did not know this at the time. I did not choose her Mm -hmm. for this reason. It was totally random that this happened. Um, but she was a health at every size informed therapist. Mm -hmm. And I, I just remember talking with her one day and I just felt so unbelievably just like empty Mm -hmm. and sad that so much of my time and effort and energy was going toward shrinking my body And I had had like so little success to that effect. Like I had lost and regained the same 80 pounds so many times. Um, And I just remember telling her like, I I think this is just what my body is supposed to look like. And she, I think had been going sort of easy on me with not, (laughs) not putting too much information on me about this until this point. But I think when I said that she sort of saw an opening 
And she was like, it's funny you should say that because there's actually quite a bit of data to support the fact that like, this is probably just how your body should look. (laughs) This is probably just how your body is supposed to be. Wow. And me being who I am, I was immediately ravenous for information. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her for information. She sent me like articles and research studies, books, podcasts, and I just devoured Mm -hmm. it. Um, and was so, again, I was so hungry for that information and I like, couldn't believe what I was learning. I was hearing from researchers and activists and all these different people from all these different like spheres in the world who were like, uh, yeah, this is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) There is no scientific, like it just doesn't, there is no guaranteed way to turn a fat person into a thin person forever. Mm -hmm. That's just not real. Weight loss is almost exclusively temporary. Mm Um, your body is not designed to sustain lifelong weight Mm. loss. Nobody's is. And that's not a fault of yours. That's literally just how biology Mm. works. Um, And that was deeply, deeply liberating for Mm. me to learn that. Um, And so that was sort of my path to self-acceptance. Then the way activism (laughs) comes into this was that I've had chronic pain my whole life. Like forever. Literally always. I know. I know. I actually listened to your episodes about chronic pain. and really I saw your them. content about chronic pain. It's like, ah, we found each other. We found a way. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've had chronic mm. pain forever, literally since I was like five mm. years old. And um, I have done everything under the sun to try to mitigate that. Mm. And then finally, a few years ago, or probably four or five years ago, actually, I finally was like, you know what, (laughs) it's time to consider surgery and I need to get a spinal fusion surgery. And so, yep. So I finally took that step and I made an appointment with an orthopedic surgeon. They did x-rays and the doctor walks into the room and he goes, yeah, looking at your x-rays, you absolutely need a spinal fusion surgery and we need to get you in as soon as possible because you actually have a fracture in your Ah. spine. So I had a yeah, it was broken. I had a broken back. Oh, shit. <laughs> casual. Um, very casual. And so he gave this whole, yeah, like, you need this. This is medically necessary. And then. Oh, no. I feel like I fucking said, know what's coming. And I'm so... you, you, know, you know where this is going. Yeah. And then he said, the only problem is your weight. Ah, um, and we are not. fucking hurtful. Yep. Jesus. What? And also just like fundamentally uh, discriminatory and incorrect. And he was like, the only problem is your weight. Um, surgery is not safe for people in your BMI category. And so we're going to need you to lose weight before we're going to be willing to give you this surgery. Yike to the 10th fucking degree. Yep. And so there are many, many things I could have said to this doctor. And we ended up did we ended up having... <laughs> quite a lengthy debate as someone who was like actually pretty well read on this. Oh, subject. wow. Um, but the first thing I said, I, I was like, okay, well to try to appeal to this doctor as someone who theoretically has a desire to do no harm, I'm going to disclose to him that I have a history of disordered eating. And so I did, I said that to him and I was like, that's not an option for me. Weight loss behaviors are extremely dangerous because I have a history of eating disorders And first of all, he did not believe me. (laughs) He looked at me like I was lying to him. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and he clearly didn't understand either because he was like, okay, well, could you lose a little bit of weight? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I, I, at this point then, in your life, are you, yeah. have you been armored with, like, your your uh, research and extensive, like, activism? Like, at this point, were you, like, so, fighting the, great the man? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was ready to fight mm. the man, um, but I did not have the best understanding of how to do that in the health system. Yeah. So I had lots of information at this point and I did not have the knowledge of how best to get my needs. Goddamn. So I actually don't recommend doing what mm. I did, which was I fought this doctor Oof. and I fought this policy for a whole year, Jesus. a whole year and this arbitrary policy. And and by the way, again, I had numerous conversations with him where I was like, okay, well then how are people getting weight loss surgery every single day if surgery isn't safe for fat people? Yeah. And he was like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess they're specialists who work specifically on fat bodies. And I was like, okay, well, so what you're telling me is my body's not actually the problem. It's your lack of training Ooh, on working with fat people. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for it. Yep. To, to which he was essentially like, uh, yeah, but it's our policy, so there's nothing we can do about oh, it. Oh, so he bl- <laughs> he put blame elsewhere. He's It's the system in general. Mm-hmm. He he couldn't possibly be the thing perpetuating the problem. No. And, and I mean, it was true. Their their hospital did have this policy. And, and again, it's just so uh, – it's such a uh, – it makes me so mad how, like, arbitrary mm. and how many barriers get put in people's way to accessing care because there are other surgeons and other hospitals that do not have this right. policy. Literally, the only the only reason I even ended up being able to get the surgery that I needed and, – and, again, by the way, I had to live with a broken back for a whole year – in the process of fighting to get this medically necessary <laughs> procedure, um, the only reason I was even able to get it at the end was because I was making his life such a living hell. And he essentially was like, okay, well, obviously, like I said, we can't do this at our hospital because we have this policy, but the hospital next door doesn't have the same BMI cutoff. So I guess we could just change locations and do it at the other hospital. You think that would have been? Like, why wasn't this offered from the get go? <laughs> like that, if that was always on the table. And I have to ask, just like personally, did you feel comfortable at that point having him as your doctor to like perform surgery after no. that experience? Absolutely not. And again, this is one of the reasons why I actually don't recommend doing what I right. did. Sure. Um, because he he showed me through his behavior that he did not respect me. He did not value my health. My health was not a priority to him. Um, yeah. And again, like I, so this is actually a good example of how fat phobia shows up in healthcare because with my, with my specific surgery, um, I I actually had two surgeons, which is common for a double-sided spinal Mm -hmm. fusion. And so you have one that's called the approach surgeon, which is essentially just like a vascular surgeon who makes a safe pathway uh-huh. um, when you're entering through the front to get to your spine. And then you have the orthopedic surgeon, which actually does like right. the bone manipulation. My approach surgeon, who I met twice before my surgery, was the most kind, oh. understanding, empathetic doctor I've ever encountered, oh, truly. Wow. it His... The respect that he gave yeah. me during this process was so meaningful to me that I actually wrote him a thank you letter afterwards. Aww. 
because it made such a radical difference. Um, So he specifically went out of his way from the beginning to show me that he respects me and he values my health and that I am important. Um, I just think it's such a clear, (laughs) it's such a clear um, example of how this works because the scar on my front, which the approach surgeon did, is like the smallest, tiniest, cleanest, best scar you've ever seen Mm. in your life. And then the scars on my back, which the orthopedic surgeon did, are mangled messes and absolute monstrosities because he didn't care. I was I was like his enemy at that point. And he was just doing the surgery because I had essentially warmed. Right. Right. And and there's so many more. There's so that that whole experience of of fat people in healthcare and the discrimination could be its own entire episode but was it was it post this that you dove more into it as like your full-time job that you just were like Mm -hmm. this experience is so unfortunately common and fuck this and someone needs to (laughs) someone needs to talk about it yeah so I I have been an activist in lots of different ways for a long time but that experience was the thing that made me an activist for fat liberation Mm. Because it was so wildly and overtly discriminatory, dehumanizing, again, literally holding health care, holding my health for ransom, mm. essentially, um, and withholding rights, resources, and services that thin people get without question. Right. Yeah. And the... I'd love to dive into sort of the nuances of that, that you've talked about too in your content. But I first want to get before we dive into that is, can you explain what mm-hmm. health at every size means and how do like, what is practicing uh-huh. this typically look like? Yeah. So health at every size literally is just a framework that it's a, it's a framework for weight neutral medical mm. care. People frequently will misquote or misrepresent health at every size, sometimes unintentionally, but unfortunately, sometimes very intentionally. Um, they will misrepresent it to say like, oh, healthy at every size. No one can be healthy at like the most extreme points of blood. And it's just bullshit. Yeah. Um, and again, no one is saying that, but also like there are people in very fat bodies who are healthy. So like, yeah, exactly. And so, um, but like, again, what it is, it's, it's a framework for weight neutral yeah. care. And if we lived in a world where fat phobia did not exist, weight neutral care would just be called the healthcare that thin people right. get. Shit, right. <laughs> and, and. Yeah. And so essentially what it is, is it's just saying like, um, that people deserve access. Well, again, people of all sizes deserve access to healthcare that is weight neutral, meaning that it is healthcare that actually serves the ailment that is presenting Mm. and it is not being diverted and distracted by body Mm. weight. And that kind of goes, I had another question later about correlation versus causation and like your baldness and Mm -hmm. heart attack metaphor had me like dying laughing because it was so good. But like, can Mm -hmm. you kind of explain (laughs) maybe correlation versus causation that leads to a lot of fat phobia in the healthcare system? Yeah, absolutely. So this is this is something that I think a lot of people misunderstand. The type of messaging that we have been fed around fatness is that it's like this well-understood, guaranteed scientific fact that fatness causes health problems. 
um, which just like could not be further from the truth. Because what we actually know is that weight is correlated with health problems, but there has not been a causal relationship that has been established in the research. And people don't know um, again, what correlation it, and causation is. And I feel like, I'm sorry to cut you no. off. Um, I just had to like no, jump in it. and be like, I feel like people are just mm-hmm. our generation. I literally get goosebumps thinking about it. It's like because of our generation questioning and being like, well, no, we're dismantling these systems. People are genuinely learning for the first time what correlation and causation even is. That one, mm-hmm, you'll totally. probably be better at explaining it, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a hundred percent right though. And, um. I mean, it's something that a lot of people don't understand, but anyone who's taken like a research methods 101 class should have had this conversation at some point, right? Like some, some really common examples that get thrown out all the time. Like when you're, again, you're in like a research class or whatever is like, okay, so uh, like there is a strong correlation in the summertime between ice cream sales and crime. So ice cream sales increase and crime also increases during the summertime, so based on that correlation, can we say that ice cream causes crime? What? <laughs> no, we cannot. We know we know that's nonsense. Right. right. But these are these are the types of logical leaps people take when they do try to impose causation mm-hmm. onto a relationship where there is only correlation. Mm. Um, and so specific to healthcare, like there are lots of different things that are correlated with negative health outcomes, like the one that you mentioned, there was a very strong correlation between uh, male pattern baldness and cardiac incidence. And so given that information, should we try to get bald men to try to grow hair in an effort to decrease their likelihood of having heart attacks? No, right? Because that's nonsense. We can understand (laughs) that baldness is not actually causing heart attacks. There seems to be a third factor at play, which contributes to both baldness and heart attacks. Mm. Um, And by the way, the same thing is true for fatness, Um, right? There are so many things that (laughs) there are so many third factors at play when it comes to weight and health. Um, another, Another good example of this, just in terms of correlation versus causation is it's been well established for a long time that there's a very strong correlation between race and Mm -hmm. negative health Mm -hmm. outcomes. But what we've learned over the last 10, 20 ish years is it's actually not race. It's racism Mm. that is causing. Yeah. Mm. It is that allostatic load, right? It's that constant stress and stigma that you experience when you are the victim of prejudice and discrimination Mm. And that is actually the more likely culprit when we're looking at the correlation between race and negative health outcomes. And the same thing is true for fat people. Fat people experience immense stigma, prejudice, and discrimination. We are routinely denied health care. My story is a great example of that, but it happens in tons of ways. Um, and you know what? It, uh, you know what leads to poor health outcomes? Uh, Being denied yeah. health care. Sure does. <laughs> Not not getting health care or not getting good health care, that sure will decrease your health outcomes. That's for sure. Wow. Um, we oftentimes don't even have the correct types of equipment. Like people take our blood pressure with the wrong size cuff mm-hmm. all the time, which constantly is leading to false high readings. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many different third factors mm-hmm. at play when it comes to weight and health. But rather than <laughs> looking at any of those and analyzing them, people just sort of make the leap. Well, oh, it's because you're fat. Right. 
The weather is getting warmer, so it is time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now that I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortless, effortless, less, yeah, effortlessly chic year after year, like uh, premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from 30 doll hairs, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I can confirm this. I'm actually wearing Quince pants right now. You are. They are so, they're they're loose, they're breezy. These babies have a button, a fly, drawstring, and elastic in the band. So I can like, I can dress them up, I can dress them down. Yes. They are, they're the perfect pant for summer and I'm really comfortable as hell in them. Honestly, I am wearing the Quince 14 karat gold earring loop right now. Oh my god. I know. I think it's so cute. It does not tarnish. It is so comfy and I have sensitive ears so I'm really loving this for my body. So get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Kelsey for free shipping on your order in 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Kelsey to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash Kelsey. Are you looking to cut back on alcohol this year? (laughs) You are talking to two sober Sally's. You know Zach and I love to drink recess zero-proof craft mocktails because it's a guilt-free way to unwind. It has 0% alcohol made with real fruit, only 25 calories or less, and it is sweetened with agave because y'all know I got that sugar addiction. It has incredible flavors. One of my favorites is the grapefruit Paloma. The Paloma is actually one of the last drinks I was drinking when I was drinking alcohol. So this is like a nice little nostalgia moment and it still feels really fun in my hand. And there's no reason we should be missing out on the partying either. It's such a good replacement for alcohol, a great drink for having in between alcoholic drinks, unwinding at home, at dinner parties, chilling on the couch. It is endless. Get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash Kelsey. So you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. Right, and it's just because of your weight. It's looking at, instead of looking at the system and the people putting these things into practice, we're looking at the people and blaming people, you know, like totally uh, what I was considering too, when you were, when you were, and oh, our producer's name is Hannah. So I'm like, Hannah, make sure you clip up that one section. That's like (laughs) about how amazing you said it's not race. It's racism. Like it's not that people it's fat phobia. Like, and, and to be like, uh, maybe like a black woman with chronic pain who is also pregnant. It's like, no wonder we're experiencing so many deaths for that identity group because we're not we're not changing the thing that's actually the problem which is the system we're we're blaming the people and there was even something recently that i had read about like taking blood when we're measuring like when you go get your hormones checked or cortisol which like plays a huge factor in weight and they take they're doing blood drawing rather than spit swapping and if you're afraid of needles what's going to happen right before someone sticks you with the needles your cortisol your veins going to yeah and your cortisol is going to shoot up and your readings are going to be off and it's like Mm -hmm. we're just now recognizing like even the blood cuff thing i remember or the blood pressure cuff thing i just remember hearing that like pretty recently and our biases Mm -hmm. our fat phobia has been 
cemented for hundreds of years of medical practicing. And so it's a lot of unlearning and checking your mm-hmm. own internal fat phobia, including racism and, and transphobia and Islamophobia, mm-hmm. among other things. But what can we, how can we do that as us as the people that want to change, right? Like we want to be allies. Mm. We want to be the activist. How, where do we start where we see the problem and now we go, okay, I'm going to consume the podcast. I'm going to consume the books and Mm -hmm. what's next? Like how do we do the work within ourselves? Shout out to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. My confidants, you guys know I have recently been going through just an absolute just wild mental health re-uptick, refresh. And I would not have been able to do that without my counselor, who I love at BetterHelp. What's interfering with your happiness? What's preventing you from achieving your goals? I personally knew I had this ketamine therapy journey starting soon and I was so nervous and I needed that person, that third party, that doctor who knew what they were talking about to help me get prepared for that environment as well as reintegrate all of things I have learned back into my daily life. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling and BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. There are licensed professionals and counselors who are specialized in areas such as self-esteem. Ugh, who doesn't need it? Grief. Oh God, things are so hard. LGBT matters. So gay. Family conflict. Mom. And anger. And depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional, and affordable. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors and all additional 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash CI. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash CI. Yeah, well, I, I'm a big believer that the internal work and the external work need to be happening simultaneously. Mm. And so what that means is that, right, doing the work of deconstructing our own biases, um, if you're a person in a fat body, deconstructing your own internalized oppression, mm. right, and how that looks in your life. And then also fighting to change these systems, mm. right? That's the external work, mm. fighting to change these policies, because, I mean, there's there's so many things that need to change, but the number one thing that needs to change is that discrimination based on weight needs to be made illegal in all 50 Ooh. states. Is it not? Because it is. No. <laughs> currently in the United States. <laughs> yeah, curr- <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. So currently in the United States, uh, discrimination based on weight is illegal in the state of Michigan and in Washington, D.C. and six municipalities. And that's it. That's it. It's perfectly legal in the rest of the country. Is this Mm -hmm. like, I haven't even heard this in media or like political conversations, which I know you definitely were involved in. Like, Mm -hmm. where do we, like, are we just not asking our, our candidates these questions? Like, are we just not bringing it to the Um, forefront? I mean, it's, it's certainly not prioritized in political discourse, right? Because, uh, (laughs) 
first of all, there are a lot of people in like very mainstream progressive spaces who think that essentially fat people are deserving of the abuse and discrimination that we receive. Mm. Like even in quote woke spaces, fat phobia is extremely prevalent. Mm. Um, And so it is not a topic that is discussed intelligently. Mm -hmm. It's not a topic that's discussed empathetically. In any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even people who consider themselves to be quite progressive oftentimes have really deeply rooted fat phobia. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there is some of that where it's just like literally not being discussed because people don't really see it as a real issue, which is bonkers. Given how much research there is about the type of the types of discrimination fat people experience. Um, and then I also think that there's there's financial resistance, mm. right? Like fat phobia is extremely profitable, especially when it comes to healthcare. Mm. Like for for example, in in my own story with my spinal surgery, um, thirty seconds after telling me that uh, he would not be willing to do the surgery on me unless I lost weight, he then said, "But you're in luck because we have an in-house weight loss program." No. And so we're going to, yep, so we're going to refer you to that, right? And so this is like, by the way, this is like old-timey scam Mm -hmm. tactics. It's like the people who, like, put nails in the middle of the road (laughs) and then sell tires. Right, right. So, so it's like saying, like, I'm going to create this problem, and then I'm going to offer you a paid solution for the problem that I have imposed on you. Wow. And so um, insurance companies, again, they also, they charge significant, both life insurance and health insurance companies charge significantly higher rates to people in fat bodies. Um, So there, there's a lot of money tied into this big time. And so um, there, the stakes are pretty high in that respect, but the stakes are also extremely high for patients, especially because, again, our lives are being put at risk. We're having medically necessary health care withheld from us. And some people actually die as a direct right. result of medical negligence and malpractice because of fat phobia. And are we able to, like, prove that? Like, have people been able to prove it mm-hmm. and, and sue the shit out of these systems? Um, so the lawsuits that have happened have been largely unsuccessful because, again, it's not illegal. It's not wow. illegal to discriminate based on weight, which is why I said the first thing that needs to happen is that discrimination based on weight needs to be made illegal. Holy shit. Yeah, we can, it's like there's not even a law to be going after that we've set up in yeah, place. Yeah, there's no precedent. Like literally someone could say, you're too fat for me to save your life, and then that person's family could never sue if they die i mean they could it depends on the circumstances but again because it's so complicated and because there are no it's legal protections gonna just be dropped it's largely unsuccessful. right like you can sue anyone right like you can sue anyone for anything but it's just gonna cost mm-hmm. you time and money um i also want to call myself in for a second and ask i noticed you say mm-hmm. people in fat bodies and i've definitely used the term fat people and is there a better language oh no it's fine okay. i so i kind of flip back and forth just because of like the medical yeah. settings that I work ah. in. But I I am I am not a devotee <laughs> of person first language. I think it's perfectly fine to say fat people, call me a fat person. I think it's totally Got fine. It. Okay, cool. I just wanted to check. Um so I wanna like go a, a little bit in like to the listeners' hearts, right? And clarify the difference between when we're talking about 
body image and fat phobia because you work with thin clients, fat mm. clients, body is at every size. And there's definitely, I've heard yep. you talk about like the difference in, in which you uh, practice with those clients. So can you kind of like first distinguish mm -hmm. the difference between the two and then talk about how you practice mm -hmm. with the different two or multiple? <laughs> yes. So for sure. So I'll start off. So there's a big difference between body image and how do I want to say this? I'll say like body image and body politics. Mm. Um, those are, that's sort of how I would differentiate those two things. So every single person of all, of all sizes, every person has body image, right? Like how we perceive ourselves, how we experience, um, and see how our body is received in the mm. world. Right. And so, um, for some people, this is like a thing they never think about. They're just like, it doesn't even really enter their brain. So their body image is like relatively healthy and it's pretty neutral. <laughs> Can't relate. Who are those people? <laughs> Where do we find them? Mostly men. Oh, that's why. I don't like those. <laughs> yeah. Again, not all, sure, not all, sure. but generally. Yeah. Um, and, th and then for a lot of people, right? Like we fixate on our body quite a bit. We're very aware mm -hmm. of it at all times. Um, and that can manifest in both positive and negative mm -hmm. ways. And so all people, regardless of their size, can have a deeply negative, problematic, unhealthy, tumultuous mm -hmm. relationship with their mm -hmm. bodies. That is something that every person can experience. Mm -hmm. There is a distinction, though, right, between our own internal experience with our bodies and our external experience with how we experience the world mm -hmm. in our bodies, mm -hmm. right? There are types of discrimination and barriers that only people in larger bodies right. face, only people in fat bodies right. face, right? So the example that I give when I talk about this, for example, like going to the doctor's office, when they tell you to step on the scale, mm. any person, regardless of body size, can be concerned about seeing the number on the scale because it might trigger like hurtful, mm -hmm. painful emotions mm -hmm. for them. Only fat people will be concerned about the number on the scale because it could genuinely trigger malpractice, mm -hmm. negligence, abuse, mm -hmm. and the withholding of health care. Mm -hmm. Those are two fundamentally different experiences, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's just an added layer. It's not that fat people can't also struggle with the internal, sure. but we have the added struggle. And again, I'm not saying that fat people do struggle with the internal. There are many fat people who don't. <laughs> there are many fat people who have amazing body yeah. images. Um, but we do always have to contend with the external. We always have to contend with the systems that we face, the structures, the spaces, mm -hmm. right? Anytime I go to a restaurant, I always Google it and I look at what types of chairs they mm. have. I always, mm -hmm, at any time I travel, I'm always researching how big mm. are the seats? Do they have seatbelt extenders? Do they have a customer of size policy? Mm. What does that look mm. like? How much would it cost for me to get a larger seat? Mm. Is that financially feasible for me? These are things I am constantly considering. Um, anytime I apply for a job, right. <laughs> I'm always like, how am I going to present? How can I um, make sure that my body looks as acceptable as humanly possible in this mm. interview so that I increase my chances of getting this job and not being denied based on their perceptions of me as a fat mm. person. And by the way, I would put myself in the like mid fat category. There are people in significantly larger bodies than mine who face twice right. the amount right. 
of barriers and systemic discrimination that I face. The larger you are, the worse it is. And the people at the highest end of the weight spectrum are the people we should be advocating the hardest for. Right. And I, 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 from just watching like the media and the TV shows that they have with people who are on that end of the scale spectrum are treated like Mm -hmm. not human. It's, it's inhumane and it's heart wrenching because like, how, how do you work with clients to, to work on that part of it? The external, right? Like the internal, you Mm. mentioned too, like they both need to be happening at the same time. And it's like, yeah, cause I could see why only so much internal work will work for, for fat people Mm -hmm. until it's like, okay, how do you teach them to protect themselves? And then, and then what else can we tell people who, who are not in fat bodies that they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as for clients who are fat, um, it is a lot about empowering them to engage in self-advocacy and if they're willing, like political activism, mm. um, which I have found in my own experience and many of my clients have found is deeply empowering. I know it sounds like, it's like, oh, you're just giving me homework. You're giving me more stuff to do. You want me to write to my legislator? But like, yeah, I do. And you're also going to find that stuff like that actually will give you a much deeper sense of agency, Mm. right? Because one of the things, one of the things that leads to hopelessness is feeling like there's nothing you can Mm. do. And as someone who has been a lifelong activist, there is always something you can mm. do. I'm like, who's your city council member? Who's your state representative? Like, who Like, who do we need to talk right. to? Can, like, you go to a, can you go to a council meeting? Like, what's the deal wow. here? Like, I'm always looking to organize. I'm always looking to get people activated because there are, like, there's a reason why there are two places in the U.S. that do have these wow. laws. There are other yeah. states that are trying to pass anti-discrimination laws based on weight. Like people are actively doing this work. Um, and so I do really, really work with them both to, again, empower them to self-advocate in their day-to-day mm-hmm. lives. And then also, if, again, if they're willing, become active mm. in the fight for fat liberation, because again, that can be so, so empowering. Mm. Mm. And I, I want to go to also like the history of like fear of fatness because you, you, mm. I just, I love you, but we're going to have a, a heyday reposting all of your shit to the <laughs> podcast, uh, the week the episode comes out because you've got so, so many goodies and like, you do talk a lot about like the history of it. And I'd mm. love to know, like, where can we even start to go? Oh, I can look at this. Here's like where the switch happened or was there a switch or like, we, we want to blame consumerism and like media, which I think has a huge part to play in it. But I think it started even before mm-hmm. social media, right? Like where, where can we place kind of the pin in the system that went awry? Oh, you mean in terms of like what created fat phobia? Yeah, is it, I have a feeling it's like Europeans mm-hmm. or like white people. Cause we're all, we're, we're the, <laughs> we're the reason for everything, right? <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Your instincts are not wrong in that. Um, So there are, there's a book that I reference a lot on my page, which is called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. The history and, by the way, the modern experience 
um, between racism and fat phobia cannot be separated. Mm. Those threads cannot be pulled up, pulled mm. apart. They are so inexorably mm. linked. They are, they're just, oh my God, they're two peas right. in a pod. So this really started during chattel slavery mm. um, for lots of reasons, mm. right? Like we know body diversity has always existed. Body diversity is something that has existed across the world in every culture at every point in time. And based on your ethnicity, your geography, your age, your sex, whatever, people of different sizes exist. <laughs> um, and during chattel slavery, well, there, there are numerous, numerous things that happened, right? There, essentially, we had to, or start, rather, the, the white slave owners had to justify why slavery was okay. Slavery existed before racism, mm. And then essentially people during the enlightenment started asking like, wait, is this okay? (laughs) (laughs) And so suddenly, yeah. So suddenly they needed a justification for why slavery was Mm. okay. Right. And so there was this huge effort with like proto science and pseudoscience to try to differentiate Mm. um, people, a lot of different types of people of color, but primarily Mm. black people and say essentially why they were inferior, what was Mm. wrong with them. And one of the things that they really fixated on was body size, which, again, is particularly ironic, given that during chattel slavery, where slaves were essentially breeded Mm. like cattle, they were breeded specifically to be big and be Mm. strong because they were doing such intense manual Mm. labor all the time. And so uh, that was just one of the many excuses, one of the many fake reasons that was used to dehumanize slaves was that like, oh, well, their bodies are bigger. That means they're like lazy and sloppy Mm. and incompetent and all of these horrible stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So the the roots of fat phobia are, first of all, deeply racial, Mm -hmm. deeply racist. Mm. Um, and there are undertones of that same messaging that still exists to this day. Mm, yeah. And what, like the fact that they don't teach that anywhere, right? That it's a source that has to be sought mm-hmm. out or recommended. Is there something we can do? Like, I went to public school in Florida, so that it's pretty much a lost cause. But are there are there school like <laughs> curriculums we could ask? Like, if if a parent is listening to this, could we mm-hmm. ask for more education on that in like earlier stages? Like, it's never too early to learn, I guess. Right, I think it's possible. Um, typically, in my experience, the only places that actually have curriculums on this topic are in universities. Mm. Um, there are actually a number of schools that have like fat studies courses. Um, There's actually an incredible book. It's actually the, it's the first textbook that was created for fat studies. It's called the fat studies reader. And that is um, generally used in universities where they have fat studies courses. Um, So there are limited resources, I would say for younger forms of education. (laughs) Get get, get Um, a children's book or something, right? (laughs) We need to, we need to get a children's book going. (laughs) Mm-hmm, totally. But like the thing that I, I always really emphasize to people is that the justification always comes after the oppression. Mm. The oppression always comes first and then the justification always comes later. Mm. Historically, that has always been true. Mm. Um, we, I think humanity, both for profit and for power, is constantly looking for ways to stratify people. We're constantly looking for ways to categorize and rank people. 
um, again, because it, it gives us power and, and it gives us profit right. to, to do so. Um, and so all of these reasons that people cling to <laughs> for why fat phobia is okay, like, oh, it's unhealthy, you're going to, like, die early, da-da-da-da-da. First of all, again, you're talking correlation, not causation, but you're referring to it as causation, which is fundamentally flawed. Um, and also, again, like the prejudice against fat people predates that argument. Mm. It just does. Mm. Like we're constantly looking for ways to justify that. And the thing I always come back to, because like my TikTok, I love my For You page because like it is just so healthy. <laughs> like it's just so positive for the brain. And like I see a bunch of trolls always like attacking women and they clap back. And it's like, why do you fucking care? Why do you care mm. so much about put it making someone feel othered or feel down or feel bad and like trying to understand the psychology behind like fat phobia mm -hmm. is so interesting to me because it's like why do you fucking care and i think you just answered it for me mm -hmm. it's like oh no they're creating like a line of people and like a list of people and they want to be at the top and they'll literally do and say mm -hmm. anything to push themselves ahead of one other person yep god damn well and let me also let me also pose this scenario to you. And I'm thinking specifically of like the hardcore, like gym yeah. bros who are like 90% of my trolls. <laughs> um, like it, imagine that you devoted such an incredible amount of your time, energy, and money to achieving a thing that you thought made you better, happier, more successful, more worthy. Um, and that is the framework that you have lived within. And then you see someone like me, who does not do that, does not invest that same time, energy, money to shrinking my body, controlling my body, manipulating my body, and who is living happily and loudly and taking up space and demanding equal rights, respect, and recognition. How would that make you feel? Mm. That's, a, that's a question I feel like gym bros are not ready to sit down and ponder on. I think there are a lot of questions they're not under uh, <laughs> They're just going to keep working out through it, okay? They're just going to keep lifting weights yep. through it and commenting on mm -hmm. other people's bodies and, and like posing in the mirror. Yeah, for themselves. <laughs> Um, and like, you mm -hmm. know, so I saw a comment recently, um, on a video, I do another podcast with the boys, guilty pleasures podcast is about movies, film and TV. And we like naturally will talk about the actors in the movie or TV show. And we of course are like that hottie or like, oh, he's like nineties hot. Like that's what you expected. Like the, the boy next door or whatever to look like. And there was a comment I remember seeing that was like, Hey, I know it's not harm like you, you're not doing it on purpose or subconsciously and i'm like but maybe i am doing it subconsciously but it's like just stop commenting on people's bodies like period and like people's appearance and i'm like ah i guess mm -hmm. like i've also i'm someone that wants to make sure everyone feels good and feels uh, um held and and in, in in safe space and i i do that by gassing people right like i'm like yes hair yes face like yes body body like shoes uh and i naturally go to physicality eat good bad fat mm -hmm. thin and like i'm i'm trying to figure out is it me 
Like, is it something that, like, I know now I'm just asking for free therapy, which, like, let's be honest, this has been, like, an amazing, basically, like, hour-long therapy session. I feel like I should have paid you for this episode. Um, but, like, do you have any advice for someone like me that that just mm-hmm. has been natural to celebrate bodies and at any size but also i don't need to be like handing out the roses to people all the time or Mm. even commenting on people's fucking bodies at all period yeah absolutely so first of all i just want to validate that what you're experiencing is not exclusive (laughs) to you you. (laughs) um this is we're we're conditioned to Mm. do this right like Think, think about when you were growing up like what was like a really like you would see like family members at like Christmas or like a holiday thing and what would be like oh my god have you lost weight I hate them like that would be constantly right and so this has been generationally passed Mm. down as the most valuable form of currency right especially especially for women your perceived attractiveness which essentially means how well you fit within like eurocentric beauty standards which includes thinness thinness is a deeply eurocentric beauty standard um, how well you fit within that is your highest form of value. So when we look to this, by the way, is something that I will, um, sometimes have, <laughs> I don't want to say debates, but I'll sometimes push back on this in like comments ah. because I'll get people, I'll get people who are like, wait, why can't I talk about people's bodies? I'm building them up. I'm giving mm. them compliments, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, what you're really saying is that that is the thing that makes them worthy. Oh. What you're really saying is that their appearance is the thing that is most valuable about them, that deserves the most praise. And what what I'm asking you to do is just dig that one inch deeper. Literally. Just that (laughs) one inch to, to be like, hey, what else is great about this person? Like, you're so strong. You're so funny. You're so smart. I feel so great when I'm with you. You're such an amazing listener. You're such a good friend. You are such an incredible support for me. You're such an inspiring person. Mm. I love how you parent. I love how you learn. I love how you're a Mm. friend. There are so many better, deeper, richer, more edifying forms Mm. of compliments that we could be reaching for. And then, so I would like to compliment you by saying your vocabulary is out of this fucking world because the words, you said like three <laughs> things during this episode that I've been like, uh-huh. And I'm like writing it down, like going to look that up later. <gasps> Jeez, girl, truly. And you, you know you. what? I, I thought I was going to have enough time to, I wanted to ask the BMI trash question, but you're just either going to have to mm. come back or we're going to have to, we're going to have to point the listeners to some content you've made about that. That. Have me back I think then. we might just have to. <laughs> this is so fantastic. But truly, where can people find you and your services and where do you want to be found? Because everyone needs to stop what they're doing and mm-hmm. go follow Hannah and, and just get that content in front of your eyeballs. <laughs> yep. So uh, there are two main ways. I have a website, which is hannahtalksbodies.com. And then I'm also on Instagram and TikTok as Hannah Talks Bodies. Hannah Talks Bodies. Definitely check it out. And Hannah, thank you so much again for being here. This has been so fun and educational. And this is why I do this podcast. You just hype me up to the extreme. I'm so fucking <laughs> hype right now. Um, so while I'm so glad. Yeah, and if you're ever in LA and you come here and you don't call me, I will find you. I'll hit you up. (laughs) 
Perfect. Well, Coffee Dots, be sure to check out all those links below and follow Hannah. Give this five stars while you're at it. If you're not going to give it five stars, please don't give it any because I'm too sensitive for that. And we will see you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks, Hannah. Bye. Thank you.